people sing, but this only happens once a year, and we're having a great time enjoying the Lord. But we're glad to have a good friend of ours that flew all the way here from Auburn, Washington, to be in this meeting and preach for us this weekend. But we're glad to have Brother Ken Bo. If you've never heard him preach, you're in for a treat, and if you have, you're in for a double treat. Brother Bo. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah tonight. We still believe in preaching out of the Bible. While you turn, let me say how happy I am to be here and honored again. I looked back over some notes, and this is several years now that I've had the privilege of coming to this meeting. So thank you, Dr. Shield. I'm convinced that he's of the opinion that if he keeps trying, I'm going to eventually get this right. Hallelujah. And I'm so honored to be here. Uh, love all of the Shield family. And the site you just saw here is a very beautiful site. I don't know how he worked it all out. A lot of guys, their girls get married and follow the boy. Somehow or other, he manipulated that around kept all his kids here and what a blessing they are amen I'm meddling here for a moment but I think if a preacher's got a daughter in the church unless he marries a preacher's son that whoever they ought to come that way that's <laughs> just I didn't have it happen that way and I'm just a little envious in a wonderful way I'd love to have my daughter where I pastor and she's very happy where she's at and in the will of God, but uh, what a wonderful, wonderful family. It's good to see all these preachers, my friends, Brother Henby, Brother Hancock, Sister Holland, God bless you, Brother Haman, Brother Bourne, Brother Thrasher, love all these men. Sister Hannah did a wonderful job last night. It's good to see some friends come in. Brother Joel Holmes stood by me in a special time in my life, and love him. It's good to see Brother Blakely come in and Brother Nathan Holmes. Good to see him. I love him very much. Man, thank you for all the food. Thank you Sister Vonda for the choir. Thank you choir for singing. Thank you sound people. You've done a wonderful job. And You know sound, sound people are like a pillar in the wall. You know if it ever if they don't do what everybody wants everybody notices but when they do a wonderful job like this week they just go unnoticed. So thank you for doing it. Good job and hard work, just everybody. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. I'd like to read it. An anthology of scriptures tonight probably won't seem linked to your mind, but uh, they are in my mind. I don't necessarily feel a heavy burden tonight, but I do feel I'm not in a jovial feeling either. I feel like talking to us uh, as a people of God to the best of my ability about, in fact, Brother Hancock, I told him, uh, he said some things that pretty much summed up some of the thoughts that I had. Brother Hanby, being the inimitable Brother Hanby, leaned over and said, well, he might preach your message, but don't give him your offering. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I need Brother Hanby in my life. Yes, he helps me. Jeremiah 6 and 16. Thus saith the Lord, 
stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths? Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. If you would turn back just a few pages in your Bible to Isaiah 58. Verse number 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. And thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. One final reading from the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 5. If you would allow me, I'd like to read the first nine verses. This will help the average of everyone here who's behind in your Bible reading program. Chapter 5, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld... And lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. They said, look, a lion has prevailed. And when he turned, he saw a lamb. What you see many times depends on where you're standing. What one saw as a lion, another saw as a lamb. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints." Verse number nine is my subject matter tonight. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I don't mind telling you tonight I want to be there when they sing that song. 
I want to be standing in the group that all of a sudden lifts their voice and begins to sing a song that we've never known before. But all of a sudden, bidden by the Spirit of God, we open our mouth, throw back our head, and begin to sing with everything that's within us. I want to be there to sing that song. I'm with Brother Blakely. I don't think the Lord came in A.D. 70. There's all kind of stuff going out there. I got a call from a preacher this week, asked me if I would make it a test of fellowship. I didn't even know what he was talking about. He said, well, the Lord came in A.D. 70. He said, what do you believe? I said, well, I don't know nothing about that, sir. All I know is I'm looking for the coming of the Lord, and I believe Jesus is coming. I believe he's coming. Would you pray for me that the Spirit of the Lord would touch this congregation tonight through the preaching of the Word? Lord, we come to you with thankful hearts. Thank you for this meeting from the first until now. Every speaker, every input, God, lives can be changed. Decisions can be made. Differences can be made tonight by the preaching of your Word. I'm asking you to help us tonight. Anoint this Word tonight, Jesus. Anoint this Word tonight, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Shake somebody's hand and say, help him preach tonight. God bless you. You may be seated. I read to you a scripture out of Isaiah, and I read to you a scripture out of Jeremiah. Isaiah lived through the very turbulent period just prior to the Assyrians coming and taking the northern kingdom into captivity. Jeremiah lived in the period of time just before the southern nation was carried into captivity. There are some parallels between Isaiah and Jeremiah that are unmistakable. One of them is that Isaiah was to King Hezekiah much what Jeremiah was to King Josiah. They both stood as prophets to kings in very turbulent times of their nation. Amos, Hosea, and Micah clustered around Isaiah, just like Zephaniah and Habakkuk and Obadiah clustered around Jeremiah. Both of these men lived during a time where they were a strong support to the man that determined the outcome of their nation. And both of them had very strong admonitions to the man that was in charge. Whatever you do, don't let down the standard. Don't cave in to the mounting pressure that is coming against you. I think one of the things that's critical for us to survive as a movement to be identifiable as apostolics even one generation from now is that something has to happen in the heart of our younger generation that says it doesn't matter if the world accepts us. It doesn't really matter if they even understand us. We do not seek their approval. We do not seek their accolades. We don't really care if they understand why we live the way we do. We are preserving something that is going to ultimately be what changes our world. Hallelujah. We're not going to go the way of the world. My subject tonight, if you'll allow me to preach to you for just a few moments and give me a few moments to lay a foundation, my subject is the song of the Renaissance. The song of the Renaissance. I 
enjoy history very much and enjoy reading about it. And I would like to tell you some things that, that I read recently that intrigued me. Uh, as a young preacher, I was instructed and trained by Brother I.H. Terry. Brother Terry had some very unique methods and ideas. One of his very forceful ideas is he did not want us reading books written by Trinitarians. And consequently, I have not read very many religious books in my lifetime. I've read books, but just not very many religious ones. I could probably count on both my hands the times I've even visited Bible bookstores. I just, Brother Terry so thoroughly let us know that he wanted us to read the Bible and not, not Trinitarian books. I have not taken that position. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just simply saying that that's why I don't read them very often. In fact, I only remember one or two in my lifetime that I read that you would consider religious writings by a Trinitarian. That was just his position. And before you uh, think that's totally uh, crazy, maybe you ought to check and see how successful he was. Praise God. He did a good job. But I, I have uh, not many books in my house. People uh, sometimes ask me to recommend a book, and I don't really know what to say because I don't have a lot of books. I was sitting on the front row all ago thinking about that, and I thought, I wonder how many books I have in my, my house. And I think, I think I'd be safe in saying I probably don't even own 100 books. Most preachers have these libraries and sets of books, and they're very beautiful, and many of them read them. And uh, I, I don't think I even own 100 books, and I, I don't have any bookcases at all. Uh, out, I got one in a closet where it's stacked up with old papers and things that you can close the door and nobody can see it, praise the Lord. But I, I, my house is not full of that. I have one set of books at my house that's on display, and those of you that have been there and visited me will uh, probably uh, recognize that. It's a set of books by a man by the name of Will Durant, and it's called The Story of Civilization. And uh, I admire this man for his achievement in life for what he has written. He wrote a series of books. He uh, attempted to turn one out every five years, and he started with the early dawn of civilization, wrote Our Oriental Heritage, and then the second volume was about Greece. The third was about Caesar and Christ. He wrote about the faith and reason and on through the Renaissance, the revolutions, etc. different volumes. He wrote uh, for 55 years, every five years, he turned out another volume. And his, his philosophy on history is, is unique in that he feels like if you're going to write history, you can't just write one little part of history. You have to write a comprehensive composite total of history. That the history of America right now, for example, if you just wrote about our politics, that would be an incomplete picture. You would have to write about our economics. You would have to write about our science. You would have to write about our, our, our cultural events. And so his, his writing is very, very good. But as good as his writing is, where he really shines is in his epilogues and the writings at the end of his books. And, and I was reading, uh, I can't read too much of it because it's too heavy. It's too, it's like reading an encyclopedia. So I can only read four or five pages a day and scratch my head and have to think about it and go on a little more. But I was reading his two books concerning the Reformation 
and the Renaissance. And it intrigued me when he began to say something because for so long I had wrestled, as many preachers do, as many saints do, I had wrestled with things in America. God, how do we know where to go? What do we do with this particular piece of technology? How, how do we chart these waters for the church? Where are we going to be 50 years from now? I got the Holy Ghost and, and at a fairly early age. I was only 16, but that was way back in 1968. That's not even all that many years ago. And, and, and yet just that 30 some odd years ago, there have been immense changes in the church. Uh, just the singing we heard tonight, the evolution of songs, the evolution of the way we have church, the evolution of, of our dress, our ways. We've, we've changed in some ways. Our message hasn't changed. Our doctrine hasn't changed. But in some ways, we've changed. And, and I, I guess it's natural to worry what's going to happen in the next 35 years or the next 50 years. How, how is all of this going to, to change us? When I first came to the Lord, there were no such things as even microwaves or or there certainly wasn't anything called an internet. And there certainly wasn't things of called computers and, and issues like that. And so we've, we've wrestled with these things. And we have to deal with these things. And sometimes as a pastor, I feel very frustrated. And I don't know how to, uh, you, you know, people are very adept. Maybe they're not in Arkansas, but they are in Washington. They're very adept at weaseling around and finding a way to do something that they want to do that I don't know anything about. They, I'll, they'll ask me a technical question that I don't have any idea what they're talking about and sometimes I get frustrated with all of that I I got so frustrated recently this is how stupid I can be I just got up in the pulpit and I said I don't know about all this computer stuff I just know if it starts with a d we don't believe it around here DVD, this, that, what I said, I don't understand all that, but it, it, I said, I hate Hollywood and all its kids and all that, so if it's got a, you know, I, I just went off, and, and I, I didn't know any other way to do it because I'm not smart enough to figure it all out, and I'm not smart enough to cut off all the passes of young people that are trying to make an end run around me, but I'm just saying somewhere the Holy Ghost is going to have to help us to maintain this apostolic heritage that we have. I'm telling you, this is the right way to be saved. This is the right way to live. This is the right way to have church. We are doing it the right way, and we've got to protect what we have that we don't lose it in future generations. Everybody that's 35 years old and younger, would you stand in this house tonight? If you're 35 or younger, stand. You are the people that we are depending on. Do you understand? It's in your hands, and we are entrusting to you our future. If you don't get a hold of this, we're going to lose something in the future. Something has got to be born in the heart of our young people, our young preachers, and the next generation that says, you know what? We are not giving in to the pressure of the world around us. You may be seated. Thank you. So I was reading about the Renaissance and the Reformation and the epilogue in Mr. Durant's books intrigued me and I wanted to give you a couple of points that are obvious once he says them. But before he said them, I wasn't connecting the dots. He makes the point that the Reformation and the Renaissance are the two wellsprings of modern life. When he made that statement, I remember putting the book down and just sitting there for probably 15 or 20 minutes, letting my mind absorb that. How in the modern world that we live, most of the things that we identify can go back to one of those main springs of life. 
They are the two rival sources for the intellect and the morality of our nation and of our world. These two events, more than any other in modern history, shape where we are today, even down to things we believe as an apostolic. And he began to write about that. He began to uh, go into detail about how that when the Renaissance came, that it attempted to conquer the same people that Rome tried to conquer militarily and how that the Renaissance made the same effort to conquer them, but not with military arms, but with their art and their culture and their influence and their literature. And he made a statement that made me stop and take note. And he said, the very same people that Rome was incapable of conquering militarily, the Renaissance was incapable of conquering spiritually. The very same people that raised a shield and a sword and a spear against the marching Roman armies, the Teutonic people, the Germanic people, the people in Europe that stopped and said, you're not going to conquer us with your military might. We're going to stand independent and we're not going to be subservient to you. His point was that the very same military effort that failed against them was regurgitated or recycled in a spirit manner and attempted to conquer them now, not through military might, but through the subtle influence of their paintings and the subtle influence of their culture and the subtle influence of the intellectual and moral ideas that the Renaissance wanted to put out there. And there were men that said, wait just a minute. We don't want what you have to offer. And they stood up and put a resistance up and it became known as the Reformation. It became known as the people that said we don't want your doctrine we don't want your dogma we don't want your art we don't want your architecture we don't want your culture we want what has always been here from the beginning it was a test of whether the old faith that was born down through the centuries was going to stand strong against the new influence of people that wanted to change what had been in place for over a thousand years and something in my heart said you know what that spirit needs to get in the apostolic church that we don't want what this world is trying to put on us. Most of you are at least vaguely aware from going to school that Rome was the greatest empire the world had ever seen. I believe it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, not by name, but by implication. Five empires had fallen, Egypt and Assyria, Babylon, Medes and the Persians, the Greeks. He said five are fallen, one is. I believe that was Rome. One is not yet. That's for all you prophecy preachers to figure out who that is. I don't know. But Rome stood for 700 years. Two times in that 700-year period, they had a Pax Romana, an empire-wide peace. Rome was brilliant in its tactical ability to conquer peoples and keep them in the Roman Empire. When Rome fell... And according to my in-house official statistician and historian Steve Hancock in 454 B.A.D., 
I asked him, and he told me that's when it fell, so if it's wrong, I'm going to blame him. But when Rome fell in 454 A.D., the implosion was so tremendous. They, the fall of that empire was so huge, and it imploded so much so that all of Europe went into what we call the Dark Ages for 1,000 years. Scholasticism and learning in schools absolutely came to a halt. Dr. Shea would have went broke. Because everything came to a screeching halt for 1,000 years. And out of the debris and the smoke and the ashes of all of that is what historians record as the Renaissance. And they want to lift it up as the awakening, the renewing of the mind of European man. For a 1,000 years, things had been on slow motion. For a 1,000 years, they had had very little more than caravans and, and slow progress. But all of a sudden, about a 1,000 years after Rome fell, the Renaissance began to happen, and people began to get a fresh awakening, and they began to look anew at their art and their culture and the way they did business. And Mr. Durant said something that struck a note in my heart. I don't have it here in front of me, but in essence, he said this. He said, down through the centuries of time, across continents and across seas, he said, through the, through the clash of arms and the smoke of battle, the song of the Renaissance lives on today. And when I heard that or read that, I began to think, you know what? That really is what we're battling today. There is still these two wellsprings of modern life life. There is still the liberal that wants to include everything in the church. There's still those people that want to come against the church and say this is just a better way. This is just a new way to do it. And there are still those that are saying, you know what? We're not interested in that. We really don't care about that. We want to just keep doing it the way we've always done it. simple things, like how they designed a church. I've heard, I, I may get in trouble here. Elder, if I do, you can pull my coattail anytime, but I've heard certain men say that steeples on churches are immoral and represent some kind of immoral. That's not true. Let me tell you where steeples came from. When the Renaissance decided that they were tired of people looking to God and they wanted to pull God's attention down from the heavens. They said, we will no longer put a spire on a church. We will no longer put a steeple on the church because when you look at a steeple, it forces your head to the sky. It makes you look to the heavens. And men didn't want that. And so they said, we will build our churches by pulling man's attention down. Look at the most famous church in the world, the, the Cathedral of St. Peter that they're meeting at right now trying to choose a new pope. It doesn't have that. They pulled it down by building a dome. They pulled it down by putting cupolas. They pulled it down and said, we don't want men looking to God. We want men looking to men. We want men looking to ourselves for our own answers. But that other group of folks over there, they said, oh no, we're going to make men look at the heavens. We're going to force them to lift their eyes to the sky. You don't have to agree with me, but when I read that, I went out and bought a steeple and put it on the church. So help me, I did. So every neighbor that drives by looks up like that. I got one old black crow I'm thinking to kill because he gets on top of that 
steeple all the time. I, I don't like that old crow, but he gets up there and flaps his wings and the neighbors drive by. And I said, you know what, God? They used to never even look in this direction, but I'll be standing out in the yard watching them. And as they come by, I'll see them lift their eyes to the heavens. And I said, God, if it didn't do anything else, it's at least making them look up to God just a little bit. Let me tell the world something for all of us that are willing to listen. We don't want your advice on how to build a church. We don't want your advice on what's right and what's wrong. I'm not even talking about the physical aspect now, but this world would come in here, Dr. Shield, and they would tell you that if you're going to be successful, that you need a board, and you need men to come in here and tell you how to run this, and you need people to come in here and tell you how to do it. Let me tell you, the apostolic way has never been for a church to be run by a board. It's never been that deacons run the church. We still believe in an apostolic call on a man's life. It's still the preacher that runs the church. Well, I thought everybody agreed with that, but obviously we got some that don't buy into that. But I'm telling you, it's still an apostolic call on a man of God. I try not to meddle and say stupid things, but I'm kind of glad that it doesn't have on your sign out front. What's your wife's first name, Vicki? I'm glad it doesn't say on the sign out front. Pastors John and Vicki Shield, because that's the popular, charismatic deal. Ooh, felt a little bump right there. We don't just believe in one God, and we don't just believe in one wife at a time. We believe in one preacher of the church. First bump I've hit in three years since I've been here. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you the preacher is still in charge of the church. We're not going to let them tell us how to manufacture churches. And Hallelujah. Apostolic way is for a man of God to go into a town and start that church and carve it out. Just like Brother Blakely did up there in Guy, Arkansas. He is doing it exactly the way the Bible tells us to do it. That's exactly what Paul did on journey number one, years 46 through 48. That's exactly what he did in journey number two and 49 through 52. That's exactly what he did on journey number three uh, in the years 53 through 57. And 11 years, that man absolutely reached all of Asia with the word of God. But he didn't do it through a board and he didn't do it through deacons. Thank God for faithful helps in the church and we can't do it by ourselves. But when the rubber meets the road and it comes down to the authority in the church, we don't want somebody else telling us how to build the church. We want to just go according to the Bible. And he gave some apostles and some pastors and some evangelists and teachers. He gave us the word of God and he gave us preachers. And the preacher is still the important one in the church. They tried to bring their culture and force it down their throats. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. You can read it for yourself. But when the so-called Renaissance came along, they wanted to paint their Madonnas very fleshly, very 
colorful uh, with, with not many clothes on them. You go to their museums, and I've been to just a few, but I'm telling you, even the way they painted the so-called Virgin Mary was not modest. It was not demure. She had a bold look about her. She had an uncovered look about her. Her clothes were not near enough to cover her nakedness because, after all, this was the Renaissance. This was the new way to look at it. But when you look at the painters of the Reformation and you go study them, when they painted the Madonna, she had a high collar and she had long sleeves and she didn't have that look in her eye that those other ones did. And that makes me understand that they were getting down on the sensual basis. I'm telling you something is bad wrong when you go to church and instill a feeling the spirit of God. You feel a sensuousness in that building through the way they act or the way they dress. God is not pleased with that. It's still old-fashioned holiness. It's still living for God. You ought to be able to love the Lord and praise God without being distracted. Our world today, they want us to accept their culture. We don't want their culture. Their culture says that homosexuality is accepted in America today. Politically, you can't say anything about it. People are reaching the point where they're afraid to say anything about the immoral lifestyle. And the devil uses stupid little puppets and gimmicks to make us look like we're a bunch of fools and a bunch of idiots. I read the statement by a convicted bomber, a terrorist, and he, he was spouting all the things that he believed in a long letter that he wrote to the judge that sentenced him. And as I read down through the letter, I said he may be crazy as a bed bug, but I'm telling you, I believe the same things that he's writing. I still believe that abortion is wrong. I still believe that it is a sin. I still believe that homosexuality is wrong. I still think we have to preach against that. We don't want your culture. We don't want your art. We don't want your literature. Your song may be sung out there, but we're not going to sing it in the house of God. We've got another song we're going to sing, and it's the song of the Lamb. It's the song of the redeemed. Hallelujah. Thank you. So You folks are wonderful. Give me a seat. Would it shock you if I told you that there are ex-apostolics that have a website, I've never seen it. They just told me this. Apostolic homosexuals. Now, is that an oxymoron or what? So what's an oxymoron? Well, the oxymoron is homosexual apostolic. <laughs> that don't work. I personally know a man. That used to be apostolic. I knew him. I knew him well. I went to him and tried to help him when he was in his fall. He would not catch himself, did not catch himself, walked away from his family. And today, his name is plastered as one of the ministries of a particular church. You can, I haven't seen it. I'm just telling you what they tell me. They say that he is now being used. That is abhorrent. That is absolutely despicable in the eyes of God. That's exactly the kind of stuff that Jeremiah was looking around and seeing. And Isaiah was looking around and seeing. Isaiah saying the northern kingdom is going into captivity. Jeremiah was watching the southern kingdom 
kingdom tottered to its ruin. And both of them are picking up their pen and saying, wait just a minute. The only thing that will help us are the old past. We don't need a better technique. We don't need a new issue. We don't need a new message. We need to go back to doing what has got us where we're at. We need prayer. We need fasting. We need preaching. We need godliness. We need holiness. We need an absolute no compromise spirit at all. We don't want the world. We don't want Hollywood. We don't want all her children. Hallelujah. Try to get us to accept all their junk. They just keep cramming it down our throat. They want us to accept their art. They got so mad when the Renaissance tried to force their art on the same people that gave the Reformation. They said, we don't want your pictures. They said, we'll paint our own pictures. And they did. If you want to know what one looks like that you're probably familiar with, go look at Whistler's mother. If you've ever seen that painting, she's sitting in a rocking chair. Got a gray dress on down to her ankles. Sleeves down to here. Got a bonnet on. She has no rouge, no makeup, no jewelry, no, en no enhancements, just godliness. And they said, you know what? We don't even think your art's pretty. You know what bothers me? It's Pentecostals that are, uh, I'm going to meddle some more here. Bothers me when Pentecostals are so up on all the latest movie stars and who's with who and what glamour person is with this one and they can tell you whatever name is and who everybody's with and, and I'm thinking to myself why are you looking at that art anyway why are you even interested in that painting anyway that came out of the renaissance you need to get back over here in the reformation and you need to say I shouldn't even be interested in that kind of stuff there ought to be a godliness that says I don't want your heart I don't want your influence I don't usually do this, and those of you that have heard me preach know that I don't get to doing this very often, but I'm telling you, God's not even pleased with Walt Disney and all of his stuff. I'm just telling you, there are better things for your children to look at than to parade them in front of us. Oh, somebody didn't like that either, but I'm here to tell you, it's not healthy for your children to create an appetite for what Hollywood can give them. There needs to be a line drawn. We're not just taking away part of it. We're saying no to the whole parcel. I'm not done, but would you come play that organ to make them feel better? Let me tell you something. Them old boys of the Reformation, they didn't say, well, we don't care much for your art, but we like your culture. We don't care much for your architecture. We'll just take a little bit of this. They had enough, they had enough something in them that said, we don't want anything you have to offer. <laughs> I don't think our struggle is in accepting the whole package of the world. Our struggle is that it comes in one small inch at a time. Sister Holland, I, I like the way you do business. I like the way you pastor. I just like it. I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought, I may tell my boys in my church, 
something about their haircut. I might tell them about their sideburns. None of them have beards and mustaches, so I don't have to worry with that. But I thought to myself, I would be more upset if they started growing a sideburn or a particular hairstyle because it was popular on American Idol. I don't even know what that is. I just read that in Time Magazine the other day, and I thought it'd sound good if I sounded current for a change. Get up here and sound like Steve Hancock, like I know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what American Idol is. Absolutely no idea. I could not name you one current television program. I'm assuming they still have the evening news. But I promise you before God, that is an assumption. I don't know anything about TV and don't want to know. And I'm not a bit embarrassed to the world to tell them I don't know. I'm not embarrassed when they ask me a, t- a question about television and I just look at them like I don't even know what they're, t- I'm not, they say, you don't even know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to know what you're talking about because I'm rejecting the whole ball of wax. I don't want your song. I don't want your architecture. I don't want you telling us how to build a church. I don't want you cramming your ideas about what culture is down my throat. Leave me alone. I'm going to dress different and be proud of it. I'm going to think different and be proud of it I'm not bending to your theology hallelujah if you just remain standing with me I want you to close your eyes and lift your hands and ask the Lord to help us here in the next few moments that God would settle in this place and talk to some of our younger people Help me pray right now. Help me pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mr. Durant said, Mr. Durant said, what Rome couldn't conquer with her armies, she attempted to conquer with her renaissance. And the very same people that resisted her armies resisted the renaissance. I don't really know how to even articulate what I'm feeling in my spirit tonight. Because people want you to name individual things. They want you to to take the whole panorama and say, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. But sometimes there's a spirit inside of them that says, but if I can, I'd like to have that. And if this is okay, pastor, I'd like to have that. And if if this won't hurt anything, I'd like to have. And there may not be technically anything wrong with it but do you understand what I'm trying to say tonight is we need a generation to rise up that says I'm not that picky I just don't want anything they have on the auction block I don't want the song of the renaissance I want there to be a conservatism not an elitism not a bad spirit not somebody up here that says they're holier than somebody else but somebody that's not looking for what we can have but is looking for something that'll say you know what I want 
to preserve this apostolic heritage. I want it to last to the next generation. I want it to last for years if the Lord tarries. And the only way we can do that is to make up our mind we will not listen to their song. I read to you out of the book of Revelation that there were some folks that sang a song, but it wasn't the song of the Renaissance. It was the song of the Lamb. Do you understand that there were 10,000 times 10,000 people in that group? Do you understand when that song begins to be sung, there's going to be people there from every generation, every nation and tongue tribe. There's going to be people there from 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5. If you die right now and you're right to meet the Lord, you'll be in that group. That tells me that the influence of the world can be resisted. It tells me that we don't have to choke. We don't have to take what the world is offering us. We can say, you know what? I don't have a bad spirit about it. I'm not ugly about it. I'm not some holy Joe. I just don't want that influence in my life. And our hope is in the younger generation. And I'm going to ask young people to do something tonight, if you're willing. I'm the only one I'm going to ask to help me. My name is Brother Jason and Sister Violet, if they would. And I apologize for picking on you, but would you just Come stand down front and take your wife by the hand and face me. Stand right down there if you would. I love this couple. I have absolute immense confidence in them. I have been around them. I feel the presence of the Lord when I'm around them. I've been in their home. They are a godly couple. They are the hope of B.B. Arkansas. Do you hear me? You may not understand this, but as they go, so will this church go. Do you hear me? As they go, so will you go. 20 years from now, if the Lord tarries and this good elder has gone on to meet the Lord. What this man, in all, I don't know your, what I'm just, I'm just using it. In all probability, what he believes and the standards he preaches and teaches are what's going to be lived right here. If he, if he decides it's not important, then it won't be important anymore. In fact, he'll have to fight your carnal nature to keep the holiness standard what it is. Because you as an individual can tell me all you want, and I'm not being offensive. You can tell me all you want to about how much you love holiness, but you let a liberal preacher in there, and invariably the church starts going down. Our only hope is for the next generation to get a love in their heart for the things of God and say, I will not be influenced by this world. I will not let them do it to me. I'm going to stand for what's right. So I'm asking them to be an example because I have confidence in them. But the rest of you, would you bow your head and close your eyes? If there's another young husband and wife that you are committed to the truth and you're not interested in the world I want you to take each other by the hand and just need one is there one right now I just need one young family is there a young family somewhere okay I got one coming stand right behind him there brother just go stand right behind brother Jason when your wife gets there I want to take you by the hand you committed to apostolic truth sir you committed to apostolic truth? Sister, you going to live it? 
You're going to be apostolic with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what we've got to have right here. And you know what? All of you that are hiding and saying, well, I don't really know if I want to or not, then this is not for you. This is only for those that have made up their mind. I'm not questioning it anymore. This is the life I want. This is the life I want my children to have. Is there another young couple under 35? Come, George and Vonda. Thank you. Stand there. Next, get in line. Just line up. Is there another couple that'll make a commitment? I love this truth. I'm not letting go of this truth. Is there another one? Is there another one? If you're here, if you're a man, single young man, or your wife is not here, you can stand on this side. If you're a young lady and you're 35 or under, you're not married, or your husband is not here tonight, or whatever reason, you can come and stand here by Sister Violet, and you can stand on this side. But we want you to make a statement to the Lord. I want you to make a statement to the Lord that God, I'm not interested in singing the song that comes out of that that hotbed of of sensuality and ungodliness and 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 the sin that comes out of that Roman environment. God, I want to be a part of that old Bible-believing group that raises up a standard. Ask ye for the old paths. Ask ye for the old paths and walk therein. Stand in the ways and say, where is the good way? And you'll find rest to your souls. And then Isaiah said, if you're willing to do that, you will be the one that build the old race places. For you will raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach and the restore a paths to dwell in. Those of you that have come, close your eyes and lift your hands to the Lord and ask Him to give you a commitment to truth and righteousness that will outlive the current generation. That 20 years from now, if the Lord tarries, you will still be living this apostolic life. You will not be compromising. You will not be selling out. But you will be living it the way God wants this church to live it. Can we hold off on the music for just a minute? Just play the organ quietly. Lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Lift your hands, lift your hands. Hallelujah. Okay, all of those back there that are not uh, up here, would you either try to get as close as you can up behind them? Would you just step out of the aisle and wrap around them tonight? And we're going to pray for these young people that something will happen in their hearts tonight, that a renewed devotion and a renewed dedication, that they will not be, they will not be fooled by the efforts of the world, that the world won't make an end around run and come in some way and destroy young people and destroy families and homes. But this apostolic truth will get in their heart and they'll hate sin. They'll hate Hollywood. They'll hate the perversion of this generation. They'll hate the ungodliness and sin all around us. They'll hate when people live together and are not married. They'll hate it when adultery hits the church. They'll hate it. They won't turn their cheek and look the other way. They'll hate fornication. And they'll hate ungodliness. And they'll hate it with a pure hatred. And they'll live it right. And they'll preach it. And they'll stand for truth. Let's pray. If you're behind them, stretch your hands up toward them that God would let something be born in them, that they would sing the song of the Lamb. Hallelujah. In Revelations, they will sing that song of the Lamb. Yes, 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 
Yes. Yes. Give G. It's going to be hard to follow because I'll be slow and then fast. Just, just watch me close. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus' name. Jesus' name. You couples. You couples. We're going to try to get you in closer. Brother Jason, step in closer. Step in closer if you can. You couples, get, get, get up in here if you can. Up close around this altar. Some of you move over there and let them through. Come on, couples. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. 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 Come close. Come close. Come close. Hallelujah. Close your eyes. Sing the song with me that we need to sing tonight. Not the song of the Renaissance. I can't sing you the song of the Lamb because I don't know what it's going to be. But we can sing this song until we get on the other side and sing the song of the Lamb. We can sing this. Give you. Thine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching. shall never sound retreat he is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat oh be swift my soul to answer him jubilant my feet his truth is marching on Would you lift your hands and love him right now? 
Hallelujah. Lift your hands and love him right now. Hallelujah. Love him, love him, love him. Just you, just you. Love the Lord right now. Love the Lord right now. God, I'm praying that you give us strong homes. God, that you give us young people that learn how to pray. God, in a busy, harried, frantic world, we're living in a day where we no longer pray before we go to work. We no longer pray before we go to bed. Bible reading is falling by the wayside, God, across our land. Put something down in the hearts of these young couples and these young people tonight. Dear Lord God, that prayer is still a part of our everyday life. Dear Lord God, that the Bible is still the first book we read. Dear God, raise up a generation that goes to their knees before they go to Starbucks. Please, God, we got a whole generation, God, that is letting it slip through our fingers. And we want to be a builder of future generations, God. We want to lay the foundation, God, that many generations will build upon. Hallelujah. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me say this respectfully. One of the things that has been so alluring about this church, so magnetic about this meeting, is there are so many honors given to people who have already walked the trail and paid the price. Honor is given to people to come and sing and testify that have blazed the trail and lived for God for a long time. I admire that. I respect that. And I think that's wonderful. And my question to us tonight, to you that are young, what will we be doing? What will you be doing 20 years from now? Will we still be having apostolic meetings where people believe in divine prayer? and divine healing is our college education going to pull us away from God and the old tenements of apostolic faith or are we going to be able to get a hold of something that will persevere right through college careers high paying jobs affluence mid America middle class USA are we going to go right on and hold on to apostolic truth the way we've always known it. Dr. Shield, I'm going to ask a favor. I'm going to ask for you to come to your own pulpit and take this microphone. And I'm asking these people to bow their heads and I'm asking you to pray for all of these young couples that came forth tonight. Elder, I want you to pray that somewhere, somehow God will give us direction for our future. Precious God, we love you tonight and thank you for your great presence. Thank you, Lord, for your anointed preaching word tonight, God. We ask you, Lord, to let your word find a lodging place in the hearts of all these young people tonight, God. Help them to know, Lord, and to feel the responsibility of carrying this message forward, God. And oh, God, to maintain the things that's been so dear to our hearts, God. Let an explosion and a revival take place in every church that's represented here, God. Help us to bear 
the torch, God, that others might be one to you, God. Help us to preach your word without fear or favor, God. Don't let the signs of the time dismay us tonight, God, into a falling away and apostasy in our soul. But, God, give us the sure anchor of the soul tonight, God. Send a revival to this church. Bless every church that's represented here tonight, God. Let the Holy Ghost flow. Oh, God, give us the grit and the grace that it takes to stand in the face of the world and its system and say, no, I love you, but I refuse to go your way. Oh, God, help us to fall in love with you all over, God, that we might maintain that that was given to us by people who sacrificed to bring us this truth. In Jesus' name, praise God.